Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. This episode of the AR-15 Podcast brought to you by Extent Labs. You know, we've been talking about them for a couple weeks now, and I wanted to talk about one product in particular, Echo 2.5. That's what I put on the MMP22 that is such a dirt hound. And uh, I was talking to Matt and Derek uh, earlier this week, and they actually told me why, a little bit of the science behind why it works. And here's what it is. There's actually an element of the Echo 2.5 that Extent Labs offers that has this part that sucks up the carbon. So when you're running it in a very dirty gun or you need it to be a reliable running gun for maybe EDC or duty carry or something like that, this is the product you want to use from Extent Labs. It took that MMP22 and it kept running. And then when I wiped it down, all this carbon came off and it made it easier to clean at the end of the day. We appreciate Extent Labs for being a sponsor of the AR-15 podcast. You can visit them at their website, extentlabs.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the AR-15 podcast. On this episode, J.D. and I are going to be talking with Chad Larson to catch up on Aero Precision. So, Chad, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? Well, you know, I can't complain because J.D. just starts muting my mic. It's really kind of a pain. <laughs> Well, J.D., why don't we do some uh, policing before we start off with our show? Absolutely. You can support the show through PayPal and Patreon or our website, ar-15podcast.com. Thank you to those that are supporting Jason, Tom, Stephen, and uh, the rest that are at the uh, Our Lips Are Sealed uh, level there at the Patreon. You can find that at ar-15podcast.com. You can also find... Uh, our giveaway. We are teaming up with Aero Precision in the month of January and February to give away a rifle. So you can find the sign up there at ar-15podcast.com where you can become a supporter and also sign up for all the giveaways that we have here at the AR-15 podcast. Now, uh, Reed, what have you been up to uh, this week in firearms? Well, I received a uh package of accessories I purchased from Brownells, and I'm getting ready to attach a sling to my new Magpul stock. So uh, I'm not going to use the uh, M-Lock accessories. I'm going to use the stud. So I've got to drill uh, and tap and uh, mount the threaded uh, uh, sling stud. So that's my project for the day. Chad, what about you? Working in firearms, do you actually have a, a chance to, to do anything fun with firearms, or are you just around them all day? Uh, not lately. Um, I do, I do, I take that back today. Actually, we do have a fun thing. One of our, uh, our owners, the big boss has actually requested a, uh, a custom 300 blackout upper. So we actually get to put that together for him today. So uh, that's fun. As far as myself, no, mostly it's, uh, work stuff at work and then, uh, go home and then work on my home stuff. So <laughs> nice. I understand that life. Uh, as for me, just working on stuff uh, with the show and gearing up for shot show here in a couple weeks. And uh, getting ready to uh, host the, the our famous read, and uh, I think Chad Wallace from the German Pasta Fetish podcast will be out here too. So uh, we're looking forward to being at Shots Show this year, and uh, all the stuff that uh, that entails, and hopefully dodging the plague uh, this year. We did <laughs> we did pretty good last year in dodging the plague, so hopefully this year we can make that happen too. Um, with that, wait a minute before we move on, 
Chad, you know, we're talking about the upcoming SHOT Show. Is is this a year to be excited, or do you think this is just kind of a, another year of, um, you know, keeping your, your head down and your shoulder against the millstone? I think you're going to see a little bit of both. Um, I think you're going to see the companies that have had things that they've been working on. Uh, they probably got the go-ahead to push forward with them and, and bring them, you know, to market just due to the – you know, the way the market was this past year, uh, it wasn't slow for us. Uh, you know, it was flat or down for a lot of people. It actually was uh, slightly increased for us, but that's just the way that we are. We always tend to buck those trends, but I think you're going to see the same old, same old from some other companies, you know, different colors of Cerakote, different, you know, minor different options. But I think you're going to see a lot more innovation from companies that have had stuff in the works and have actually had to go ahead to go ahead and go forward with it. So. Well, that's pretty awesome. Hey, J.D., why don't you go ahead and talk about our main topic sponsor, and we'll get started with the show. Today's main topic sponsor is Ammo.com. Save $20 on your next order of $200 or more when you use the special link. You support the podcast when you go to Ammo.com slash AR15podcast. That's Ammo.com slash AR15podcast. We know I always like having you on, Chad, because um – I guess I'm an Arrow fanboy now. I mean, <laughs> not as, as big as JD is. Because, JD, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, uh, I built that, uh, six, five Timberwolf on your, uh, I guess it was the winter camo, uh, chassis. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it's sweet. It is, yeah. it is an awesome rifle and, you know, due in large part to the, to the receivers and, uh, handguard that I've got. So, you know, kudos to you. I, I, I guess you've got another another sycophant here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be getting a restraining order soon enough. I guess. <laughs> so, Chad, what's new? What's new with you guys? I know we're getting close to Shot Show, just about a week and a half away um, when the show releases. What's new with you guys? What can you tell us before the big reveals or the big stuff at Shot Show? You know, we try and plan some stuff around Shot Show, but being the the manufacturing facility that we are, um, you know, we don't hold on to stuff and wait till a show to release it. So, uh, as far as new stuff from us from this year, um, starting like the summer, we did the uh, AR15 Atlas R1 style handguards uh, as the continuous top rail, so it's a slim size handguard uh, with the continuous top rail. That was a request from consumers when we launched the S1 a year and a half ago, they wanted to see one with the full top rail. So we, we went ahead and launched that. And then we did the same for the uh, M5, the uh, 308 series. Uh, that was a full launch. So we did both R1 and S1, um, you know, handguards for the M5 for the 308s at the same time. So um, those, have been, uh, those have been going pretty good. We've been pretty happy with those. Um, they're really comfortable, um, you know, uh, to, to shoot with the S1, especially if you shoot like heavy metal competition. Uh, that S1 handguard on a 308 rifle is, is really comfortable to shoot. So um, as far as other projects, uh, we've got a couple little things coming out for Shot Show. No major releases, uh, just some minor updates, um, you know, here and there to some stuff. So, One of the uh, questions we had because when we put it up on our social media to ask you guys is uh, we saw a suppressor last uh, Shot Show. What's the What's in the works with that now? It's still it's still in the works. Um, we weren't happy with the uh, the initial design. Um, you know, it performed relatively well, but we didn't want it to be well. We wanted it to be you know at least as good as, if not better, than a lot of the competition out there. So um, we've been working on some different designs uh, here and there uh, to make it a little more a little more modular and a little perform a little bit better. Um, the core things that we had identified as being important for the suppressor that we wanted to bring to market, we're working on improving all those things. So. Um, I think right now the tentative 
launch for that is going to be uh, this next summer. Um, you know, we just got, uh, we really got hammered this year with a lot of projects for uh, different companies. As a company, we've grown a lot. Um, you know, we did some restructuring as a company, expanding, um, you know, operations. So a lot of the stuff that we, we have, manufacturing capacity went towards expanding uh, manufacturing capacity rather than making new products. So uh, new, new tooling, um, basically, for, for handguards and some other stuff. Um, since we've started doing a lot more of those, um, we decided to invest into some uh, high-capacity tooling for manufacturing the handguards to improve efficiency on that. So uh, that ate up a lot of our uh, manufacturing time. So it's not as exciting as new stuff, but as far as a company, that really helps us uh, to manufacture more of the handguards to support the different uh, product lines that we have. So, um, Hey, you know. Chad, let me ask you a question about the suppressor because it occurs to me that, I mean, you, you guys have developed a, you know, a rather unique core competency in, in terms of what you're able to do. Did you find yourself, I don't know, short of the, the intellectual resources, the, the horsepower of, you know, engineers, of, you know, your, your thought leaders to, to be assigned to the suppressor project? Or did you find that you had all the talent you needed in-house? Uh, as far as engineering, we had uh, the talent in-house. It was more um, being able to devote the time to manufacturing prototypes to do testing. Uh, we did a lot of data modeling to uh, try to eliminate that as much as possible, but we still needed to turn up prototypes, and it was difficult to find time in the machine shop to do that. Um, we don't have a lot of machines devoted to making prototypes. We have some, right. and they didn't have personnel as well. Uh, we had some personnel issues trying to find qualified uh, machinists to to run the prototype shop. So that was a limiting factor for sure. So, um, and that, and again, all the machines we did have went towards other projects that were more for efficiency rather than new products. So it just kind of got shelved that and due to the, the suppressor market in general, uh, it still hasn't bounced back hundred percent from where it was a few years ago. Um, so it wasn't, uh, something we, we knew we had to get done right away to take advantage of the market. That market's been coming back a lot. It's, it's almost, I think back to where it was, you know, prior to the, the additional ATF, um, you know, regulations and restrictions, but uh, still not 100% there. So we knew we had some time uh, to actually get the product right. We didn't want to, we could launch a product, but I don't think it's right. It's not 100%. Right. And uh, we really want it to be 100% exactly something that every department is is happy with and proud of to launch as an air precision product. So. Well, that's got to be a little frustrating because you, you absolutely have to balance that kind of demand for the product that you're in the business of manufacturing and selling. And, and when you have expansion to the point where you're having to bring in equipment, having to bring in personnel, having to bring in, you know, the, the tooling. I got to think it's frustrating to find yourself short staffed because you're having to rob Peter to pay Paul and it's just not coming in the door like you'd like. Is, is that something that you guys deal with on a regular basis or is it just something that's kind of part and parcel to the, the way this year is shaking out for y'all? Uh, it's something that we always deal with as a manufacturing, you know, facility. We always put manufacturing as the, you know, one of the top priorities is the, the shop to do is to, to, you know, to manufacture the product. So um, I think it was a combination of things due to the uh, level of, um, you know, sales for the year, it being a, a flat year overall for most people, a little bit of an up year for us. Um, you know, we were anticipating that. And then we basically just got stuck with a lot of OEM projects in addition to our own projects. And that just kind of, slowly chipped away at engineering time and a lot of things that we wanted to do just kept getting pushed, pushed to the back burner because other projects got put in front of it. So it's something that we deal with all the time, every, you know, every year for the most part, uh, this year, especially though, it seemed like it, you know, a lot of the OEM stuff, a lot of the internal tooling stuff 
I got pushed in front of the new products. And some of the new products that we had um, just didn't turn out as, you know, as gangbusters as we'd hoped, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, the, the, the hangar and stuff is great. It, it brings new, new complete uppers, new builder set options, et cetera. But, uh, you know, just the market being flat in general didn't uh, get as much lift out of those products as we had hoped. So uh, the time spent on, uh, you know, engineering and tooling stuff, uh, helps in the long run, but it doesn't help, you know, for the the new projects that we wanted to launch. So, you know, we had a question, I guess, two questions that I think kind of touched on that that question of your OEM side of things. And one of the the responders said something about your need for manufacturers who would manufacture for you. And I'm trying to find that. JD, can you find that for me? But um. The other is, you know, someone wants to know who you supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there are relationships that you may not be able or willing to talk about, but to the degree that someone might offer to manufacture for you, you guys are essentially uh, completely equipped in that regard to handle all of your own internal manufacturing, right? Um, for the most part, for the large parts, smaller parts, you know, pins and springs and stuff like that, um, we're not set up to, you know, manufacture high volumes of those. Um, so you know, small piece parts, but as far as our core products, you know, the barrels and handguards, uppers, lowers, you know, scope mounts, stuff like that. Yeah. That's all stuff that we manufacture in house at one of our other facilities. So. And th- that's kind of part and parcel of the way the industry works, right? I mean, there are a lot of people that aren't going to spend the time, um, bringing up personnel or finding them if they can, and then, you know, acquiring, fairly expensive and sophisticated machines to do their own manufacturing when they can contract out for someone else's unused machine time. Is that essentially where you guys step in? You've got the machine time and they have a need for what you can manufacture? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense really for, for us to get into manufacturing, um, you know, volume manufacturing of springs and pins and, and items like that. Mm-hmm. We don't sell the volume that we you know, sell of receivers. Um, we contract out with other companies that do the same thing that we do for receivers for those small parts that right. on those core parts and then are able to, you know, bring efficiencies of, of scale to that to manufacture them. So yeah, that's what we, that's what we do. So, so, you know, from the inside is, is it a short list of folks that sit in your boots and do the same kind of thing? Or is that something that's growing or even shrinking? I uh, mean, as far as like the core parts, receivers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the people that are going to be those, um, you know, economies of scale manufacturers where other uh, companies will go to you and say, hey, will you, you know, provide this to me with my markings on it so I can sell it under my brand? It it comes and goes. Um, for sure, the last two years have been more of a, a down market. You know, we feel like there's less players in the market just because um, in order to be competitive, they have to have you know, the economies of scale, the efficiencies that we have to manufacture those parts, you know, as, uh, as efficiently as possible. So they're as, you know, affordable as possible. So uh, last like two years, year and a half or so, yeah, we feel like that's gone down. It's not like uh, it wasn't a panic year where everyone tries to get in the business of, of manufacturing that. And overall, it feels like that's gone down to uh, a lot of the machine shops that did get into that to try and take advantage of it, realize that it is a very, it can be a very up and down market. So um they don't necessarily like that. It's hard to kind of balance out the waves, you know what I mean? So they'd rather have something that's more steady. And, um, you know, the way that we manufacture our, our parts, we're able to try and keep that as steady as possible. So, Well, and certainly when you're able to rely on a broader base of 
companies that rely on you, the loss of any one isn't going to scuttle the whole deal. Whereas if I've got two people that I contract with, when one of them walks away, I may lose half of what I've got going. Yeah, exactly. That has that happened to us early in our early in our years. Um, you know, when we manufactured uh, primarily for just uh, one or two OEMs, um, you know, we were subject to their their orders and their their you know how they rode out the market as well. So if they they didn't prepare, they didn't plan. Um, you know, it directly affected us. So we tried to you know diversify as far as OEMs and suppliers you know, as much as possible to try and and uh, you know keep it from being affected uh, that much by any one channel. So. Well, so I guess the other half of that uh, is who do you supply? I mean, that, that you'd be willing to talk <laughs> about and share with us because, I mean, we appreciate your um, products that are aero precision products. But, you know, I got to think that if there are other companies that you're manufacturing for that you're free to discuss, there may not be a lot of people that understand that that is also one of your products that you're manufacturing to the same quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, it's just the uh, the family of companies. Um, you know, VG6. Uh, you know, that's a wholly owned um, subsidiary of Air Precision. Uh, Ballistic Advantage, our barrel company. Um, they launched their they have their receivers. Um, you know, the net receivers that we manufacture for them, the uppers and the lowers. They have their standard AR15s, the enhanced, and the 308 series. Uh, for the most part, as far as other OEMs, um, not really free to talk a whole lot about that. I would say that a lot of the OEMs that we have, have done business before, we kind of have toned that down a little bit. Um, a lot of the bigger, um, companies that we work with, they're not manufacturers, larger manufacturers, but they basically will brand their products as air precision products. Um, yeah. they do like a special complete upper, you know, with a piston or a bidding on a contract with that kind of a thing. They, you know, they list them as aero precision products. It's not, um, you know, listed as their own kind of a thing. So uh, we've toned that down quite a bit um, just because it uh, we kind of balance out all of our channels for the most part. And there were years we focused a lot on the OEM stuff, uh, and it hurt us. You know, it basically prevented us from being able to grow as much as we wanted to grow during that time frame. So we try and right. limit that a little bit. But, you know, our family companies, our sister companies, we, we support them for manufacturing products as much as possible. So. A uh, qu- question from Curtis. It'll fit right in with that. Um, it wrote in, and if you're free to say or not, uh, do all your guys' complete uppers come with the ballistic advantage barrels? That's correct. All of our barrels are ballistic advantage barrels. Okay. Um, every single one that we, we sell um, is basically just done for us by ballistic and then branded our precision. Um, we only have a couple that are like proprietary contours, et cetera, for us. Most of it is um, they're the experts in barrels, you know what I mean? So we go with their recommendations as far as profiles and lengths and, and gas systems and stuff like that. Um, you know, we have one or two proprietary ones for us, but for the most part, they're all made by ballistic. Uh, they're just branded arrow precision. So, cool. Thanks. Well, let me bring up something that was announced last SHOT Show. You were working with a company in a line of ARs that they released, and you were announced when they announced the release of those products, uh, without dancing around it too much more, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, you're talking about the Brownell stuff? Yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do the, the retroline rifles for them. Um, you know, uh, Ballistic Advantage does the barrels for those, and we do the uh, uh, the lowers for those, and then all the assembly, all the test firing, uh, that kind of stuff. We, we do all that manufacturing and, and assembly for them, so... So without dancing around to any questions about whether they're expanding the line or whether any of that stuff is in your your wheelhouse, when it came to the idea of kind of stepping back into history and bringing, you know, uh, 
the the receivers to market that have the I guess non-standard attributes for modern ARs was that a hard thing or is that pretty easy? I mean, it wasn't much in the way of uh, having to re-engineer your processes to do that. It was a little bit just due to the different design of the forgings. Um, you know, we had to go back and make some adjustments to our tooling to make sure that they would work with the. Uh, you know, all the, uh, just the differences in the forgings, um, you know, when they flip the parts around, we'll do the engrave or they, they hold it in a different man- manner in order to, to get to a different area to do it. We had to make sure all it's willing to work with that. So it wasn't a huge project, but it was a fairly large project. So, uh, and then just due to the sheer different number of them too, there's three different, uh, lower forgings, uh, in, in the retro line and four different, uh, rifles and they're all done on those. So now we had to make sure that all of those are done, um, properly that the tooling works with all, all different forgings in addition to our existing ones. And then um, just manu- man- managing all of the uh, incoming inventory for all the different parts. Because we do all the assembly, uh, we also have to do inventory management for Brownells on all those parts, including uh, you know all the barrels and all the plastic handguards and all the grips and all that kind of stuff. So we actually sectioned off an area of our warehouse that is just devoted to Brownells and the Brownells retro line because of the sheer volume of product that we're doing for them. So. Oh, wow. So I guess here's a question. It's kind of the, the capstone on all that. So when somebody comes to you and says, Chad, we want we want Arrow to be the, the company that's going to do this for us. Is that business as usual or is there kind of a, I don't know, an ego boost when they seek you out instead of somebody else? Oh, it's always an ego, ego boost. I mean, that's great that they, uh, you know, they appreciate our level of, of quality and they want us to, you know, assist them in, in any ma- matter, whether it's just making product or it's actually assembling stuff with them too. So it's, it's great to hear, especially for Brownells. I mean, they've been a great partner for us for, for a lot of years. And the fact that they, they trusted us, um, you know, for the manufacturing and then also the, um, you know, assembly uh, of all the complete rifles was a, it was a huge ego boost. We're glad that we could help them out with that. So. Oh, that's great. All right, JD. I think I hijacked you there, but I just had to. What are you guys? Um, I'm looking through some of the questions here. Um, any plans for AR9 or different calibers in the future for you guys that you can talk about? We are, yeah. So we are finally got to go ahead to uh, go, you know, full speed ahead on the the PCC project. So, um, you know, even I've been asking for that for several years. We finally hemmed and hawed a little bit and finally got to go ahead. Everyone, everyone at the company's on board with this is an area we need to be in. We should have been in this years ago, but it's time to stop messing around and actually get into it because it is uh, an area that we think we could be very successful in, um, you know, just due to our manufacturing receivers. So uh, we got the, uh, the go ahead to go, you know, everything we need to do to go ahead and go with it. So um, that's great news. We've done some, some R and D stuff for some of our OEMs. Um, so we've got a lot of research behind that already that we can draw off of. So it shouldn't be, it's not something that's going to take us too long to get into. So I think right now we had hoped to have some um, samples done. Won't be done by shot show, but they will be done by like the NRA show. So. All right. Okay. Um, what challenges uh, you said that this year you guys really didn't face a slump or anything, but have there been any challenges you guys have faced this year um, with kind of, I don't know the, I guess the people assuming that everything's a okay when it comes to gun rights, of course, that was before the election just happened and several States uh, had to deal with stuff. Was there any challenges there for you guys, whether it uh, being in Washington or just general across the board that you guys faced this year? Um, not really just, um, you know, the type of company that we are being able to react quickly to market changes helps out a lot. 
the market changed a lot this year, changed direction a lot this year. So we had to um, just stay as nimble as we could as too far as manufacturing um, and basically spreading around uh, the manufacturer product. Uh, there wasn't any one thing that moved significantly well this year. Everything moved pretty well. So now um, we just had to be, you know, good at keeping track of inventory, keeping, you know, the different departments in line with what we need to be manufacturing at one time. Um, you know, if production was uh, producing something and they made too much of it. We needed to quickly adapt and switch around to produce something else so that we weren't sitting on inventory, you know, too long. Uh, as far as grain rights and stuff, yeah, um, you know, it was a little disappointing this year being in Washington State. Um, personally, I didn't really feel like the uh, 1639 had a chance of passing Every single sign that I saw everywhere driving around or walking around was, was no on 1639. Um, and then the fact that it, it got passed, you know what I mean? With the, it was less than 60%, but it still passed with 60%. And the amount of people that I saw come out against it uh, was pretty significant. So that was very disappointing uh, to see. Uh, the bright side of that is, you know, Second Amendment Foundation is located here in Washington State. They actually filed a, a lawsuit against it in the first place to keep it off the ballot, and it went all the way up to the state Supreme Court where they basically told them that it didn't matter if it wasn't legal to go on the ballot. They needed to get passed before it could then get overturned, and it was kind of uh, very disappointing to see, uh, you know, as far as state laws. Uh, so it did get passed, and again, they have filed a lawsuit now to get it removed uh, just because of the, the amount of unconstitutionality of the wording in that bill, so... Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, as far as the, the stuff in there, you know, they always try and take take a little bit more uh, rights away. Uh, Washington State is different as far as, like, pistols go. Um, they handle handguns differently than they handle long guns. So basically what they wanted to do was make long guns go through the same process that you go through for, for handguns and even a little more so. Um, so that was kind of their, you know, they're a little bit chipping away at it, trying to get a little bit more, take a little bit more away here and there. So... Uh, I do feel personally like that will get overturned, um, but we'll have to see what happens here in the next you know, few months. So the initial provisions of that basically state that nobody under 21 can purchase a semi-automatic rifle. Um, you have to be 21 or older to do that, and that takes place January 1st. Um, so we've seen um, locally uh, the gun shops have been very busy over the last month uh, since that got passed. Uh, selling complete rifles, but it's not like a full-on panic where people are, are freaking out too much. The rest of the provisions, the whole ten mandatory 10-day wait period and $25 additional fee and all that takes place, uh, I believe it's like July 1st or July 15th. So um, hopefully we'll have a resolution on that lawsuit before then. So, Anything that impacts you as a manufacturer there with the passage of this stuff? It's not as a manufacturer. Um Basically, it just came to additional restrictions for purchasing semi-automatic rifles, all semi-automatic rifles, not just, you know, modern sporting rifles. And then um, basically making it so that uh, as anybody under 21 can't purchase it, you know. Um, so that was that was the thing. As far as manufacturing, now there wasn't really any differences uh, for us as far as manufacturing. So, Any uh, more food trucks boycott you guys? Yeah. <laughs> no, after the last one uh, blew up, uh, they kind of canned the whole thing, so we didn't have any more food trucks this year. So there's got to be a pro two A food truck out there somewhere. Yeah, we thought about it, but it just uh, it turned into a bit of a mess, you know, both internally and and externally. So uh, we just decided to kill the whole thing. It wasn't uh, it wasn't worth it. And to be perfectly honest, they the food trucks didn't get that much business. Um, you know, especially like in the, uh, the wintertime around here, it's pretty cold and dreary and to have people standing in line trying to get food. It just didn't, didn't really work out for them as well as I'd hoped anyway. So it was just kind of a, 
it's a mutual decision for us to not do it anymore. And for a lot of them to, they didn't want to come anymore anyway, because of the, the lack of business, I guess. So. Gotcha. Reed, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to this, you know, the idea of the pistol caliber carbines, PCC. Oh, here comes the 357 SIG. No, no, not even, not even. I mean, the, the, the thing that I, I always try to, to figure out is where you as a manufacturer sit on the idea of risk. I mean, it's one thing to come in and, and say, all right, we're going to retool so we can manufacture this thing. And then six months later, it's not a thing anymore. And maybe you're even sitting on a overproduction of it and now you're stuck versus, and, you know, I think that people would call like Caracal and, um, uh, Springfield kind of late to the game when it came to ARs. And, you know, we've had pistol caliber carbines out for a while. Um, you know, I don't want to say that it's, you know, anywhere close to the idea that, you know, you're coming in late to the AR game, but how do you balance that? I mean, are you guys given the leeway to take risks or do you guys have to really sit down and think hard about whether this is something you're willing to commit to? This is the first year of the company. We've really done that. Um, you know, for our, our company budget, we actually put together some um, estimates on what we thought would be, you know, the largest revenue drivers. We took some historical analysis on sales um, and actually put that forward into, you know, putting this into the budget for next year. Like if, if we want to continue the growth that we're doing, this is the product family we feel like would do that. And then basically broke it out ahead of time into the individual components, the complete uppers, complete lowers, calibers, um, barrel lengths, hanger lengths, et cetera. And put that into a plan um, with some actual uh, sales analysis data behind it to to make a plan, and it made sense. And that's why um, basically we were given you know the green light to go full bore on it and decide go go for everything we wanted to do uh, in that plan in order to make that happen for for next year for our company. So, so a calculated risk. Calculated risk, yeah. Uh, in the past, yeah, it's been more of a. Uh, we know this is going to work. We, we don't necessarily know the numbers. It's not that different um, as far as tooling. It's an easy change for the most part. We're not, you know, we don't, we're not taking existing tooling that we have to use and cutting it up and repurposing it for this other product that may or may not work. You know what I mean? It's how do we modify yeah. our existing tooling to work, you know, to fit these new products um, so that we're not, you know, not getting too, too deep into something, just something that's too risky that we, we don't know if it's going to, you know, pan out or not. So. so it sounds like you've kind of evolved from, uh, a more instinct driven decision making to more of a data driven decision making process. Yeah, for this year for sure. It's still a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's 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 our instinct of okay, this is the category we think we need to go in. Let's actually dive deeper into it and see what we can do. Uh, and that's what we do with the PCC, you know, estimate um, for us. Uh, basically took some sales data on some of the new products we launched we thought would be similar. Uh, you know, did some analysis and then came up with this is what we think we can actually do with it. And uh, I'm really happy with not only the process, but the numbers we came up with. And we think it'll be really successful. So, so you know, you talk about being able to be nimble. Do you think you, you will at some point have to struggle with being tied down, tied to the data, you know, driven further and further from, you know, the gut feeling and the instinct of it all? That That is one of my biggest worries is um, we don't want to get too corporate. Um you know, one of the things that is most beneficial to us is being able to pivot, being able to change quickly, adapt to change. Uh, that's what makes us, I feel like, a lot better, uh, you know, of a firearms company uh, than some of the larger ones, you know, Colt, Remington, uh, Smith & Wesson. They're large companies or corporate companies. They they take longer to react. Um, you know, it's, it can be too corporate at times. So, um, 
we're just trying, trying to balance that. You know what I mean? We need to make better decisions with data to support it. And then we can get, um, you know, the capital or, um, you know, investment in, you know, machines or uh, employees that we need in order to make this happen. So it's a little bit of both. I, we haven't swung past that. We're just sort of getting into, um, you know, taking that data and then making educated guesses and then presenting, presenting a plan to the, you know, to the, the big head honchos to say, okay, this is what we want to do. This is what it's going to cost. Can you get this for us? And, um, so far, every time we've done that, they said, absolutely, you know, we'll get you the capital and here you go. So, well, that's got to be kind of refreshing. At least you're not having to try this with shackles on, right? Yeah, it is. It's been great. Uh, the support we've had from them has been excellent. Um, you know, we're kind of moving the direction that we're moving has been the, the right direction. That's, that's what they want to see. And then now that we've moved in that direction, we can also then go back on historical data, say this is what we anticipated to sell in this particular product, this particular line. This is what we actually sold. And why did it happen? And then we can, again, use that data to, to make better decisions going forward, too, as a company. So, well, it sounds like Aero Precision is growing up. You guys are <laughs> getting getting that point where uh, you're no longer uh, the, the home company, the mom and pop. You guys are almost corporate now, huh? We, almost. We still have. We've always been that way as far as, um, you know, manufacturing machine shop. Um, you know, it's just getting the rest of the business to, to kind of correspond with that and then you know just the capacity that they have to um you know to manufacture products now makes it basically a necessity for us um if we're going to invest in something we need to make sure we can actually number one do it and number two it'll be successful because um you know once we get behind manufactured product we can make a lot of it in a short time you know if we think that it's going to be popular so right well i think that's all good stuff yeah all right jd steer us in uh, another direction uh, a listener question, and this is where you're not supposed to be humble. This is where you're going to have to you tell us what you do well. Uh, Toby asks, where does Aero Precision feel they are leading the industry, i.e. innovation, sales, R&D, et cetera? And uh, where, and the, the second half of it, where do you guys think you can improve? As far as leading the industry, um, I think our, our enhanced forge line really uh, has been industry leading. Um, you know, people like they like things that look different, but they like the the strength of the, you know, the forging. So being able to leverage both of the, uh, both those aspects that we do well at, um, you know, I think it's been really good. Um, you know, the M41 lower has been an incredible success for us. Um, you know, it's got improvements over your standard lower, but the pricing because it's a forged product, is not that much more, um, you know, it's basically eliminated, you know, the needs for, uh, for roll pins, you know, the threaded pin for the bolt catch, oh, all, all these little, little improvements, you know, are, are a huge deal. It's a big deal. You know what I mean? Um, not having to drive in the roll pin for your trigger guard is, is a big deal. You know what I mean? People, uh, you know, you can't break off those ears anymore on your little receiver if you got an M41 because it's already there. You know what I mean? It also adds strength to it. So, um, the enhanced forge line is something I think we've done really well at and uh, we want to continue going forward with that. Uh, it makes sense for us from a volume manufacturing uh, standpoint to do the forgings, enhanced forgings like that, and then leveraging our, our engineers and our designers to make the forgings that uh, not only look better, look cooler, um, you know, have additional aesthetics to it, but also improve function, performance, um, you know, ease of assembly, etc. So, as far as things we could do better on, um, basically, just uh, sometimes we we move too fast uh, in different departments, and we need to make sure all departments are. Uh, in line with that so that, um, you know, they're aware of the different changes that, that are being made so they can all, all you know, react. It's, it's growing pains for the most part. 
solving different problems. You know, every time you grow, every time you expand, you break new things and then you got to fix it. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, working with inventory, work with me with processing, incoming processing, et cetera. Um, you know, that's something that we continue to do better on, but we could, we could absolutely do better as a company and uh, we all know it and we're all working on it. It's just things break differently. Every time you grow, every time you expand, you fix one thing and then you grow, you know, you add 10% more capacity and now, all of a sudden, you know, your shipping department can't handle the amount of volume, or your the the ATF department that we have, the compliance department. You know, what I mean, you start manufacturing twenty percent more receivers. Well, now there's you know a percentage more work uh, above and beyond that because they have to process FFLs, talk to the FFLs, get their FFLs, manage their FFLs, etc., and then ship those out because that's a different area of fulfillment. Um, you know, it tends to break stuff. You know what I mean? We grow our exporting company to or exporting to to different countries, um, and then again. It, Compliance gets, uh, you know, has to do a lot more work because now there's additional requirements for State Department and the ATF and everyone else to make sure all those, you know, all the paperwork is correct. So you you grew the business there, and now you got to expand it in the personnel department and also in the expertise department because they need to know, you know, what forms they need to fill out with the State Department and what countries are allowed to do what things and, and stuff like that. So just being able to grow um, all of the departments of the company. Um, you know, at the same rate, or at least make sure everyone is communicating at the same time so they know what needs to be done is, is something that we can, uh, we're working on. Um, but it's definitely something we can always do better at. So nice. Uh, Chris writes in and says, um, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. You guys crush everything you do. Uh, any thoughts of producing other rifles? I know we've talked about pistol caliber carbines, but, um, another company uh, produced an AK just recently, uh, in house. Any thoughts of an arrow precision AK 47? We, we kicked that around a couple of years ago. Um, it's a different process just due to uh, stamp steel and welding versus uh, aluminum and machining. Um, so we've kicked that around here and there. Um, not really sure where that's going to go with that. Uh, as far as other other rifles and stuff, we've looked at doing uh, possibly doing our own actions uh, for both action rifles uh, and more chassis to go along with that. Uh, it's something that we've actually done R and D work in the past for other companies. So it wouldn't be too difficult for us to get into doing that. Um, and then also with ballistic advantage, our barrel company uh, manufacturing barrels. And then this year, or this year and the last year, bringing on their own blanking line, um, we'd be able to do a lot of, uh, you know, custom, custom barrels or, you know, specific twist barrels and chamberings, et cetera, uh, that they could do. So, uh, that's something we'd like to get into, um, that's a long-term project. I don't know how long it would be uh, for sure. You know, chassis would be relatively easy to do, but we kind of want to do our own action, um, you know, to keep in line with the, the firearms and receivers that air precision manufacturers do an air precision bolt action uh, receiver um, action that you could put into a, you know, a chassis and basically build up your own uh, bolt action rifle. So, you know, that kind of brings me to a question. Do you find yourself at some point having to wrestle with the idea of, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And the idea that, well, we have to keep moving forward. You know, do we have to improve it? Do we have to bring it out in another color? Do we need to, you know, put some aesthetic detail on? I mean, is is that kind of a wrestling match or is that something that's not even there for you guys? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a wrestling match. It's trying to, you know, plan the product life cycles of the different of the different things, you know, the different hangers, et cetera. Um, you know, what product line is due for a uh, complete revision or what product line needs to be an updated to the next generation, et cetera. So, um, you know, that's one thing, too, that we noted this year that we want to try for next year, and it may be actually year after that, is a refresh of the M5 line. Um, you know, updating the four genes, 
um, you know, updating the lines, uh, trying to lighten it up a little bit, uh, make some improvements to that. So uh, that's something that's a long-term plan, plan for, for that series of the M5 is a, is a redesign. So uh, the thing that we're trying to decide is where we want to go with it. Uh, if we want to stick with the, you know, stick with the DPMS uh, LR308 platform series, or if we want to go ahead and move forward with the, the small frame stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, if we move forward with the small frame stuff, then it's an entire line of new barrels, new bolts, et cetera, you know what I mean, to work with. So we got to kind of, uh, again, use our, our new tools we've had for, um, you know, sales forecasting and see if that makes sense to, to do, or if we just want to do a simple refresh of it to, uh, you know, bring it up to date. Uh, that stuff was done uh, about four and a half years ago. So it's really due for a refresh of design. And there's some minor improvements we've made to it here and there, um, but it might be time for a major improvement to it. So, so is there a, I don't know, a canary in the coal mine? Is there a sign you guys look at and say, all right, this is something that we really need to take note of that, compels change or compels awareness to where you sit or, you know, where, where you are in the, in the array of companies that are out there? There's not a canary in the coal mine. I think we kind of all have our, our eyes and our ears open to, to everything from, you know, social media channels to forums to, you know, news articles, et cetera. We always keep an eye on different companies, what they're coming out with, where we think the market's going to go, um, that kind of a thing. So um, it is always a, a push from the different departments too. Um, if they're able to, if purchasing is able to find something for a, a better deal, if we can, you know, change our manufacturing process and we work with manufacturing and production to change something up to, to basically come up with something different. And if it makes sense to then do a new generation of product at the same time so that you're, you know, you're, you're minimizing, um, you know, costs of, of doing something. So, um, you know, it's very, we don't have a set process on that. It's more of a, what we think would, would make sense and then discuss it through different departments at what would make sense at what time, you know, production will bring stuff to us too. Like, okay, we're, uh, we need to move these machines around. So we're going to have to change the way that we process this. Is This is this a time to, you know, incorporate any other different design changes or forging changes, et cetera, and then kind of work from there. So I tell you what, sounds exhausting. <laughs> it, uh, it can be for sure. I mean, that's, that's the way that we've been, you know, for the last uh, five years. So, um, we've kind of gotten used to it and kind of gotten a handle on, on what makes sense. And then, you know, again, as a company growing as much as we have, you know, we've brought on a lot of really good people. I mean, we have a really good team in pretty much in every department, really. Um, you know, we've got a lot of rock stars that work here in all the different departments and a lot of them have, you know, leeway to, uh, you know, to give input and ex- help us expand and, and, you know, tell us what they think that we should do. Um, like I went out into our uh, fulfillment department uh, earlier this week and they completely reorganized um, the uh, cubicles that they had because they basically ran out of room um, in the fulfillment and they needed it for storage. So they they basically gave up their own extra break room that they had and then put offices in there and then used the cubicle area uh, for storage of, of other products and stuff. So, um, you know, they basically saw that they needed to do it and they made it a change, you know what I mean, to make that happen. So, um, you know, the team that we have here in all the different departments is, is really good uh, and we all work well together and, uh, you know, help, uh, everyone has the same goal to help, you know, keep, uh, keep growing the company. So, so would you say that that's kind of a, a distinct part of the, the corporate culture at Arrow? Uh, it has been for sure. Um, yeah, we all know, we all know what the, the top level goal basically is for the most part. And we all kind of come up with our different ways to, uh, you know, to help everyone meet that goal. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we have as a, as a corporate culture. So, 
JD, what you got for us? Uh, question come in. Any, any plans for California compliant with the maglock? We had actually worked on some stuff. Uh, Battle Arms Development has their um, patented pin, basically, that uh, goes into the – it's basically an additional manufacturing process where you drill and tap an additional hole, and it has a pin then that goes down into the uh, mag release button area. So if there's an upper pinned to the lower, you're not able to push the button. If you shotgun the upper um, off the lower, then you're able to push the button. So – um, we talked with them about that earlier this year to get started on it. And again, it's one of those things that kept getting pushed to the, uh, pushed to the back burner. So, um, this next year we're going to circle back and, and see where we're at with that, see if that makes sense. So nice. Uh, next question coming in, um, trends, uh, what do you see for, you know, the basic calibers 308, 556, What is the, what would be the next popular caliber or next two popular calibers with you guys for sales? Um, we're taking a look at, uh, what is it? 8.6 Creedmoor. Um, there's been some, you know, some push for that, uh, some interest in that. So we're kind of keeping an eye on that. Uh, I think some form of 6.8, uh, just due to the military, uh, you know, request for information that went out earlier this year on that, uh, basically saying they're going to move to some sort of 6.8 caliber, not 6.8 SPC, but something in that range between 6.5 and 6.8, I think it was. So, uh, we're keeping an eye on that. So, um, you know, as far as us for this next year, we're going to do PCC, so it'll probably be nine mil. Um, you know, we'll have nine mil, we'll have 40, we'll have uh, 45, and then 10 mil. Uh, I think in general, 10 mil uh, is in handguns is something you're going to see more of. Uh, we've already seen a couple more manufacturers launch their handguns, you know, in 10 mil this year. So I think you'll see more of that here at Shot Show. Um, doing our own testing, you know, I never actually had a 10 mil before. I always just read all the, you know, the memes and stuff about it being a hand cannon. It's too powerful or whatever. So uh, we're doing some R and D on a PCC in 10 mil. And, um, you know, the first time we shot it, we were worried about the shot. And it was like, well, this is a little bit, it's like a hot nine mil. It's not <laughs> much. Of it. I was expecting like a 500 Smith and Weston or something. And, uh, shooting it like it wasn't bad at all. Like actually it was quite pleasant to shoot. So especially in a PCC format, you know, with the stock on it. So, um, that's been a lot of fun. I think you're going to see a lot more of that this year. So. So I like the the idea that the ten millimeter is just kind of like the the gateway caliber to possibly get into a three fifty seven sig. <laughs> it's a possibility. I do think you're going to see a lot more of those, you know, intermediate, uh, medium range calibers in between pistol and handgun in PCC format, just because um, you know it's more practical to it. You're not just holding it with your hands. Now you've got a shoulder that you can use to brace it as well. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more uh, development in that in the next few years. So I'm excited to see that for sure. Well, I think that's exciting. You know, in terms of that, you know, when it comes down to it, do you ever look back into the, I don't know, array of existing calibers and, and consider ones that have been in the market for a while and think that, well, okay, maybe there's, you know, a, a greater degree of adoption or a greater degree of interest and something that's a couple of years old, so maybe we'll double back and pick it up in the line. Or, I mean, is is it just really whatever you do now, looking forward with today's data to see what the best option is? I mean, how, how does that work for you guys? Um, we really work well with our other, um, you know, sister companies to see what they're doing, see what they're seeing. Um, like for this year, uh, we launched six point five Grendel, and then also two two four Valkyrie. Uh, to kind of see, you know, how those alternative calibers would work uh, and see. And, um, you know, they just didn't do as well for us as we thought. They do a decent amount, but just not as well. Um, 
like last year, I think it was Ballistic Advantage launched their um, 22 Nosler, and I think they had a different caliber. And, you know, those have basically all but gone away for the most part. So yeah, uh, 22 Nosler, we, what I did research on it when I was there at Shot Show and saw their initial launching on it, and it just it didn't do it for me. So I was kind of like, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna have that. Ballistic Advantage was excited about it because they can only they can just do the barrel for it. It wasn't that hard, but for us to do complete uppers, complete lowers, etc., for it, it was going to be a little bit more a little bit more work, and it just didn't seem like it was going to be worth it to me. So that one was a wait and see. You know, we'll see how it, it takes off, and then it it didn't really take off, so it, it made sense that we didn't do it. Um, Ballistic saw decent sales, you know, around the six, five Grendel stuff. So that's why we went ahead and, and offered that as a, as an offering. And it, it seems like it comes and goes in waves. Um, it doesn't have like a steady sales rate to it. It kind of comes and goes for the most part. So it's kind of a neat little caliber and I, I like it, but, um, overall sales has been kind of small. The 224 Valkyrie, you know, we missed, we missed it a little bit. We didn't, we weren't able to be an early adopter on that. Uh, basically because Ballistic Advantage will not launch a product if they're not happy with it, and they were not happy with performance out of it, which yeah. turned out to be the ammunition uh, that that Federal had loaded for it, and it was not good. And once they came out with some better ammunition, they had some incredible results with it. So that is one reason why it took us longer to, to launch it as a product line. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of died out, so I guess we'll see what happens with that in the next, you know, next few months. But, uh you know, I think it's it's turned out to be one of those possible niche calibers that it might die out completely or might just kind of go into the background and be, you know, you know, one of those cult following kind of things. I don't know. Right. Like the 357 SIG. Yeah, yeah exactly. The cult Good following. Night. Good <laughs> night. You can't be a cult of one. It's just a misguided individual. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's possible. I mean, every cult has to start with somebody at the top. So you're the, you're the Kool-Aid dispenser. I got it. Got it. All right. Um, that's it on the questions from the, the audience. I mean, we've got a couple, uh, praises here. Fanboy moment. I can't think of anything. Tell them I love them. Uh, their lowers are the best. A great customer service. Um, a lot of response like that, uh, when we have you guys on, um, a lot of, uh, appreciation for what you guys do there and, uh, not just fanboys like myself, but actual people who build rifles. Yeah. That's well, great. That's awesome. It's always good to hear. One of these guys, right, Tim, are you going to be producing any uppers with the built-in carry handles? So are you producing the uppers for the um, Brownells line of retro rifles? No, we are not. Um, the way our tooling is designed, uh, it doesn't work well, um, you know, with those uppers uh, for the most part. We did back in the day when we were making them from an OEM. Um, they're just, they're very difficult to manufacture for, uh, you know, volume standpoint. So uh, Brownells would like us to do those. So we keep going back and forth, but um, it would be a huge project for us to do. Um, so it's not something we're committed to doing at this time, but we keep talking about it. So we'll see. You never know. Got to make sense, right? Yeah. I tell you what, you have a lot of folks that really enjoy your products. <laughs> so in terms of what is really kind of, you know, hitting it on all eight cylinders right now, what is the thing that you guys are most excited or pleased with in terms of your product line right now? Um, definitely going to be the M41, the whole lineup uh, between the enhanced uppers, uh, the threaded uppers and the Atlas handguards and then the low receiver, probably the low receiver for the most part. Um, you know, it's really taken off uh, in all channels as being a, a very popular uh, low receiver uh, to where we're selling almost as many of those as we do at our standard air 15 lowers. So I'm uh, really happy about that. You know, um, basically everything came together really well on that and it's continued to go well on that. 
as far as, you know, production and marketing and uh, product development. So, you know, in terms of a handguard, I mean, we see so many flavors out in the market, but we also see some companies that really kind of dedicate themselves to the handguard in particular. Is there a point where it makes sense for you to broaden the line, broaden the number of SKUs that you have in terms of offerings, um, branch out into newer configurations or additional configurations or models? Um, or do you just, do you satisfy yourself with making the best thing you can? And if they don't want to buy your handguard, they'll just buy someone else's. I mean, obviously you've got the, the regular upper receivers and the upper receivers that are proprietary to your own handguards. So that kind of indicates to me that your awareness that other people may want to put on their regular handguards as opposed to your proprietary. Yeah. Um, the handguards have been, uh, an interesting challenge for us. Um, you know, when I got started at Arrow, we actually didn't even make handguards for ourselves. Um, so the fact that now that makes up, that's our, our third like core product now it's uppers, lowers and handguards. It's, it's kind of a big deal. So, um, hangers presented an interesting challenge just due to the number of configurations. So it's not like an upper receiver where you can tool up to make, you know, thousands upon thousands of the same one. The fact that you've got, you know, different lengths of handguards and then different models between Keymon and, and MLOC. Uh, presented a, a different challenge for us to try and, and figure out. So um, you try to be careful with that just because you add one additional length of handguard and now you've got to, it propagates through, you know, hundreds of different SKUs in complete uppers and combo sets and builder sets, et cetera. Now that you have to uh, decide if you want to add those to the product lineup or you just want to, you know, add the individual products. So um, this next year we have talked about that due to us offering PCC, we will be having like a, uh, like a four inch handguard, uh, basically to go along with a shorter barrel on the PCC. Um, so you'll see that in the, in the line. Um, we've talked about adding a uh, intermediate handguard, basically about a 10 or 10 and a half inch handguard. Um, we've had a lot of law enforcement requests lately for uh, 11 and a half inch barrels. So we just launched a couple of limited complete uppers for that. Um, but uh, they want a little bit longer handguard. So a uh, 10 and a half inch handguard on 11 and a half inch barrels, just about right. Um, so we'll have 10 and a half inch handguards uh, in the series. And then they've talked about longer handguards too. So we are looking at adding a 16.5 inch handguard um, to the lineup too, um, especially like in the 308 series with the longer barrels, uh, longer gas systems too, uh, that are available and not having a handguard that can cover the, the gas block uh, is something that we know a lot of customers have asked for. So we're looking to add those. Awesome. JD, anything else on the horizon here? Man, I can't think of anything. I'm excited to uh, visit the booth at SHOT Show. We talked to uh, Brian a couple days ago, and uh, the rifle for the giveaway is going to be hosted uh, there at the Arrow booth. It's going to be there, so uh, excited to get hands on that and uh, get our listeners uh, a couple more details on that rifle build. And, uh, man, just excited to see um, everybody, all our friends that shot from Arrow Precision. All right. Well, with that... J.D., why don't you read us out? All right. You can contact the show by going to our website, ar-15podcast.com. That's ar-15podcast.com. You can also sign up for the Arrow Precision giveaway there. Uh, Check out the Patreon and the PayPal. Listen and subscribe to the AR15 Podcast for free on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can leave a review there. Uh, Tag us on Instagram with your stuff, at AR15Podcast. And, Chad, where can we find you guys on your social website and all that stuff? I know you guys got a new website out there. Uh, it's aeroprecisionusa.com and then of course on social media aeroprecision.
This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv. 